I want to invite you to turn to the book of Ruth. You're going to want to follow along this morning because we're going to hit the theme of what really Ruth is all about. And we're going to look at the last few verses of this book and highlight really two verses and show how these two verses paint a a major theme throughout Scripture, a theme that if you ask me what is my favorite theme in the Bible would be related to what this passage is going to be in today, then I'm going to leave you in suspense until, (laughs) until we get there. You think about the book of Ruth as we've gone through this, we've gone through this story together. Uh, it's a book that um, begins with tragedy, ends in triumph. It's a book that starts with darkness, walks into light from weeping uh, to celebrating. Uh, Ruth and Naomi were two individuals that were impoverished, no food to eat, no money to make ends meet. They were broken, broken uh, not just financially, but also relationally. They went uh, to Moab, away from God's people, and in that journey found death. Spiritually, away from God's people for 10 years. They experienced three bad marriages, which we saw with Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion. And them not being aligned spiritually, it led to sickness. And Naomi ultimately was facing death. And Ruth knew that Naomi was facing death if she returned to her homeland alone. And so Ruth gives this statement that when we think about the book of Ruth, it's probably the most famous passage out of these four chapters where Ruth says to Naomi, where you go, I go, and where you die, I will die. Your God is my God. Inevitably, what she's saying is if, if you die, I'm dying with you. Because I'm going to put my faith in this God in which you also trust. And they put God to the test. And this is where life begins for them. And the interesting thing about Christianity is it's not until we find the end of ourselves. It's not until we die that the Bible tells us that we truly experience life. And, and that's both uh, uh, spiritually and, and physically. We uh, leave this world into the next, but also in a spiritual sense. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it's not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 39, he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. In death, in the book of Ruth, we see there is life. I've heard somebody kind of give the idea of this book as being a great testimony. And in giving the idea of a testimony towards this book, this person went on to explain the difference between a a biography and a, a testimony. If you think about the context of the story, Ruth is prepared to to die. Naomi is bitter. They return to the land of, of God's people, the promised land, because they heard God had visited them. And when you think about that in terms of biography and testimony, a, a biography is about what you have done. But a testimony is about what God has done when you were unable and so it's on the backdrop of that thought that in Ruth chapter 4, you, you see how this, this story starts to wrap up with this idea of redemption from darkness to light. When, when Ruth is married to Boaz, it tells us in verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Beautiful story of two people that love God and want to follow them. And we've, we've seen just the theme of this dis- discussed in Scripture. In chapter 1, we highlighted it's better to be single and free than married and miserable. You look at the story of Ruth as it begins with Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion. They're, the two sons' names, Malon and Kilion, literally mean sickness and death. 
In chapter 3, we talked about singleness is better than sinfulness, how Ruth comes into this room and and, and, in chapter 3 on the threshing floor and throws herself at Boaz, but Boaz treats her with integrity, though she may not have had the highest integrity in those moments. In chapter 4, the story in in Ruth is telling us uh, that there is hope in second marriages. God's not finished just because one part of your story may have have been filled with despair and and, and darkness or sickness and death. There's still hope. And chapter 2, which I skip, but chapter 2 is is uh, it's us looking for this idea of a testimony, which we've said it's God working in us when we are unable to to do it within ourselves. And and in chapter 2, Ruth goes to this promised land, and she doesn't know how things are going to work out. In fact, the concern between Boaz and Naomi is Ruth, she could face a lot of abuse, if not death. But Ruth didn't just sit on her hands waiting for God to move. She, she walked by faith looking for open doors for the Lord to provide. And then in verses 14 and 15, starts to paint this, this broader picture now of now that, that Boaz and Ruth are married, this kinsman redeemer has come into Ruth's life. Uh, the results of this, it says, then, then the women said to Naomi, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. This picture of a redeemer is a, really a picture throughout the Bible that's, that's highlighted in the book of Ruth. And when you read it, just this, this word of redemption throughout this, these four chapters of this story, God's picture of redemption keeps growing bigger and bigger as these individuals in this book walk by faith. In Ruth, in the beginning of Ruth, when Naomi experiences the death of her family, Ruth steps in as a re, sort of a redeemer towards Naomi and helping provide for her. Then Boaz becomes this kinsman redeemer and being able to provide for both Ruth and Naomi. And now in chapter 4, verse 15, you see another story of a redeemer emerging in the story as this child now from these women uh, are, are spoken from these women to Naomi as being a redeeming child or a redeemer. This child, it says, sustains Naomi in her older age. What it's saying here is, Naomi doesn't have to worry about her future. In Israel's day, the older generations look to the younger generations as they begin to age to be the caregivers within the context of their family. And so now, now that the lineage has continued on, Naomi finds this redeeming hand of this child as being one that can sustain her into her older years. And so then it says in verse 16, looking at the giftedness of what this moment is by God, it says, then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. This word for nurse is carrying the idea of a caregiver. And you think about this picture of Naomi now being a grandmother. (laughs) I, I am not a grandparent, But as a parent, I have observed this grandparent position in in action. 
And I got to admit, from my, from my point of view, grandparenting um, appears to be better than parenting. I mean, why else would they throw the word grand in front of it, right? The grand parenting here, what we're talking about. It, 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 you, you, can, you can, you may not necessarily do this, but you can enjoy the kids without the, the backside of, of dirty diapers and upset tummies. It's kind of like you get to play with them and if something is a brewing, you can pass them on, right? It's not your responsibility. You're the grandparent after all. I, I've watched this with my, my mother as she has carried out that role. I, I can't tell you the number of times I've had to say, mom, you know, if you, if you don't stop feeding them candy, they're going to uh, really release everything that's gone into their stomach and inevitably within a few minutes, blah, there it all is. Or, or mom, the kids don't need 15 pairs of anything within their life. Or mom, at some point, uh, ice cream for every meal just gets a bit old. We should probably stick something healthy in there, you know? Grandparenting. And here in this story, Naomi nurses this child. This means that she she sees this child as a blessing from God. No doubt kids are a gift. And as one who is nursing and seeing the story of Ruth and Naomi being told now in, in generations ahead, this, this book is being written well beyond the time of, of Ruth. It's more in the time of David looking back to the history of, of Ruth's life. That Naomi sees this kid as a, as a gift and she's speaking life into them. She's speaking life over them. She's not just providing for them physically, but she's seeing what it means to walk with God spiritually as Naomi and Ruth have, have done this now, returning to the promised land. And now she's continuing to pour that blessing into the life of this child. But you know, sometimes when it comes to parenting, it isn't always easy. Sometimes it can be more like surgery. <laughs> where it can be painful. But you know the result is to produce health. The major question for all of us in this is just, do you see your child as a gift? As a blessing from God? Recognizing, as I even said last week, that you get to make an impact in this world by the way you pour into the next generation. Utah's the youngest state in America. It's as if God has gifted us an opportunity uh, to make movement throughout, throughout our, our nation as we pour into our young people. In fact, men and women, as we began this story, guys, I even pointed out for you that when it comes to understanding how God has shaped your family, that while a church may have a pastor, when it comes to your home, God calls you to be the pastor within your home. Take on the responsibility of the caring and overseeing of your children. To show to them what it means to walk with God and, and, and when necessary to even perform surgery. I, I know when, it, when in the life of parenting, it's, it's not about just walking behind your children and pointing out every wrong thing they do, which you will have opportunity if you've got kids to do that. But... But when it comes to parenting, you know, if, if all that we do is correct misguided behavior or sinful behavior and, and we point them back to God in the midst of that, eventually what they're going to be able to see in those steps is that God is a very nagging God and I don't want anything to do with him. He's only there when there's something going wrong in my life and to tell me how I'm wrong. But I think it's important when we look at the totality of parenting, it's not just about corrective behavior, but it's about reaching the heart of your child to see them nurtured into maturity. 
And if we're not careful in how we do those parents, sometimes we'll honor the things that may be worthy of honor, but we'll honor them in the wrong way. Let me just give you an example. If a child comes home and the report card is all A's, you congratulate them on the success of all A's. And there's nothing wrong with congratulating a child on a great performance on a report card and getting all A's if your child has the capacity to perform to that level in life. And there's nothing wrong with when the child brings home not what you know they're capable of to encourage them to do differently. But as a parent, I think it's more important to honor not just the act, but also the characteristic. In fact, I would say it's more important to honor the characteristic of what will produce ultimate maturity in your child, not just the result in the moment. And so let me, let me give you that in a, in a very practical way. This morning in my life, here's me just bearing it all here. In, in, in my life, the only time I feel like I get a timeout is when I head to the restroom. Now, if you as a parent, you have kids, you know what I'm talking about, right? Lock the door and it is soulless, right? Except for somehow my kids have learned how to break into that moment, you know, hand under the door, whatever it is. And this morning, no different in my life. My kids come running in excited about something that I could have cared less about. But they were excited, and so in that moment, I want to be excited. And so they, they come in, and I could have freaked out. This is my time out. <laughs> Get out of here, you know. But, but I have known what's been going on in their lives. They've been playing this, this Lego adventure thing, and, and they had a goal that they wanted to achieve. And this morning, before church, it happened to be that monumental moment when together they had reached Lego victory. And so they come busting into my timeout of, of solace and peace to share this wonderful story of success with me. Like they could have waited, of course. But, but you know, I could have said as a dad, that's great. I'm glad that you guys achieved this achievement and wonderful. Now get lost, you know. But I recognize as a parent, God's got me in a position that's very important in their lives. I don't always succeed at this. So I'm just sharing you. I'm just sharing with you a successful moment. And you can think that every moment of my life is successful if you want it to. But I, I just want to make this point. Is when they came in to share the success, one great thing happened. They're two young brothers. They do much better at punching each other than they do working together. But I know what God loves. God loves unity. God loves cooperation. God loves how there was a success achieved in their lives together to, a, to accomplish this victory. And so what do I do as a dad? I don't just say great job on the achievement, but I want to recognize the characteristic that produced the achievement in their life. Guys, I'm so glad you worked together. And God is honored in how you, got, how you cooperated with each other to achieve that. I bet the Lord just loved how you guys, I don't think he gives a rip about your Lego thing, but I think, I, I, I think God is pleased when, when he sees you delighting each other together to achieve this purpose. As a parent, sometimes I'll give up the short game and that victory to look ahead towards the maturity in which God has placed me in the life of my kids to see that victory. Not always, I fail, but that's what God's got me in their life to see happen to reach for their heart and to encourage it when it reflects the characteristic of God in their lives. And that's what Naomi is in this story. This word nurse, it, it's not just, you know, you just provide the sustenance, but it's the totality of, of the well-being of this child under her care. She's seeing the beauty in the picture for what it is. And, and I also love how it's talking about the honoring of the older generation, right? This redeemer 
will sustain Naomi into her old age. I mean, it's great just to watch youth run around, to see the excitement and to remember the days when you could bounce off the ground like that too. (laughs) I'm I'm not that much far removed from youthful generations, but I I already, when I go out to play sports with them, recognize how my body used to do some things that it can no longer do. And I tell them, you know, I used to be great in my day, (laughs) you know. But honoring the older generations. I love it when the way Mark Twain used to say it. He said, um, youth is wasted on the youth. And, and there's something to be said about that within the context of our culture. Because you, you go to some cultures today and they cherish older generations. But for some reason in our culture, we're fixated on youth. Everyone wants to be younger. Instead of honoring the wisdom of the older generations. There's a perfect harmony, a synergy here. The wisdom of the older generations. The older generations have something to say. It's worth listening to. And the younger generations, and they've got the energy to get it done. If we could pour that, just see that working in harmony together, what a beautiful picture that becomes. And I I see that that synergy in in this relationship just being expressed in this passage of scripture with Naomi as she's thinking about the hope of the younger generation. She's taking the time to invest in the younger generation in the future and investing into her. Beautiful picture. And And then this book gets to the end. Verse 17 to 21. And the end... They want us to grab this idea of, of redeemer in a, in a bigger picture. And I'll, I'll read those verses to you in just a minute, but I, I want to provide the backdrop before I get into it. Now, everyone reads the book of Ruth, not everyone. Most everyone after today, it will not include you in this category, but most everyone reads the book of Ruth. And if you ask them, hey, what's the book of Ruth about? They'll start talking about Boaz and kinsman redeemer, Boaz and kinsman redeemer. But I want to remind you, this book isn't called the book of Boaz. (laughs) It's called the book of Ruth. Why? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with what's explained to us here in verses 15. And if I back up to read in just a moment, in verses 14. Verse 15, we'll reread it in just a moment. But verse 15, it's one of the most startling things you could ever read in an ancient document. And the reason is, is because it gives credence to a female and not just a female. It's a a female who was a foreigner to the Jews and, and not just a foreigner, but she's also an enemy to the Jewish people. That's why they were concerned in chapter two for her well-being when she's walking around this land. And so here we are in this book, it giving credence to this woman. Look, look at what it says in verse 15. May he also be to you, talking about this child, a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. See, in the context of, uh, uh, of ancient Israel, to read this passage, this would cause people to stop and literally goosebumps just raise on their arms just thinking about what's stated in this passage. Ruth is better than seven dudes, right? Of course she is. Like, could you imagine the grocery bill? <laughs> What's it saying here? Men are better than women. No, that's, that's not what it's saying at all. Um, I recognize in a, in a society that women were often not treated as equal. They're not treated as image bearers should be in the context of Scripture. 
I find one of the things that was appealing in the New Testament when, when the message of the gospel was proclaimed that it had a tremendous effect in the lives of slaves and in the lives of women because it was finally elevating them and their, their positional worth being created as equal image bearers in God. And here in this passage, it's, it's doing this, this same idea with Ruth, not just, a, not just a female though, a foreigner, one who doesn't belong. And not just a foreigner, an enemy. And then it compares her to seven sons. Now, what's so great about seven sons? Well, in this text, it's important to recognize seven is a number of completion. And a patriarchal society of sons, right? And so what it's saying to us in this this passage is that seven sons is actually a picture of a perfect family. And so what Ruth represents then is something more uh, beneficial or better than the perfect family. That's how great this idea of redemption transpiring in the story should meet us in our need in our life. And I'll, I'll reveal more why as we read it in this passage. But it, it's showing us the reason this book is not called the book of Boaz, but the book of Ruth is because of the significance of what's taking place here in the idea of redemption through this woman who was a foreigner. And then it says in verse 14, And the women said to Naomi, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today and may his name become famous in Israel. Something unique is being expressed here in the idea of redemption through this kinsman redeemer of of, of Boaz. I remember we've looked at this this thought of kinsman redeemer last week and we've, we've just peppered it throughout this message, but when the author's talking about a redeemer here through this kinsman, he's not necessarily uh, being true to the law. So the reason someone was allowed to be a redeemer or the kinsman redeemer is because they possessed what was necessary to, to buy someone out of, of their place of desperation. So Boaz was able to be a kinsman redeemer to Ruth because Ruth in her brokenness needed someone to, and Naomi in this moment needed someone to come in that could supply and provide. And Boaz had the sustenance. Boaz could meet that need. That's what a kinsman redeemer does. But here in verse 14, the author isn't referencing that kind of redeemer. In verse 14, it's talking about a child. What can a child do? And then as if to explain it, verse 17 to 21 goes on a little further. It says this, the neighbor women gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi, so they named him Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Perez to Perez, was born Hezron to Hezron, was born Ram and to Ram, uh, Aminadab, and Aminadab was born Nashon, and Nashon was Solomon, and to Solomon was born Boaz, and Boaz, Obed, and Obed was born Jesse, and Jesse, David. What's it saying? It's painting a picture of redemption. What it's saying to you is God's plan of redemption has been orchestrated from the beginning of time. And God just doesn't randomly intervene into Ruth's life as if to say, oh, you know what, you just need, probably need some rescue. But rather, he's using Ruth's story as a greater story for all of us. Let me, let me tell you why. Ruth is being written now, at least during the time of David. 
And, and the author of this story is looking back over the darkness of history that has just been recently written. And when you follow the story of the Jewish people, beginning in Genesis, the reason Genesis is written is because God's people, his chosen people, were slaves in Egypt. And being slaves, they had no identity. And God works through a man named Moses, and he begins to record the very first chapters of Genesis to show people how, how, how people have worth, value, and meaning, not because of what they do, but because innately they're created in the image of God. And he starts to shape this image. And when you get to chapter 12, he then starts to work through a specific person named Abraham. Calls him out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. And he tells him that the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Redeemer would ultimately come through him. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, through him all nations or all peoples would be blessed. And then you see the people of Israel, the the Jews, they they go into this promised land that that is given to them. And and Joshua goes on this conquest of of taking over this land. And then right after Joshua happens, there's the story of the judges where the people go into darkness. And we've even read in the story of Ruth, the last verse in the book of Judges, it tells us everyone does what was right in their own eyes. And what that means is no longer declaring God as God, they declare themselves as God. And when they wake up in the morning, they answer the question, what will make you most happy? And whatever it is, do that. And what happens in that type of environment is you start to abuse everything in life as worthy for you to exalt yourself as God, even if it's people. People just simply become tools to the worship of you and you'll use and abuse And when the people of God see that type of demonstration in someone else's life, it brings them to a place of despair and darkness and wondering, God, where are you? God, do you care? And someone with the story of Ruth is now going back to the period of Judges and tracing this hand of redemption that started all the way back to the book of Genesis to say to to God's people, God is not finished with you. Even when you feel like life is darkness, God's glory is still there desiring to be made known. That's why this this mini story of Ruth becomes a greater story of God's redemption. And that's why in talking about a kinsman redeemer at the end of this book, it continues to trace the lineage of what would ultimately become Jesus so that you can see the greater picture of God's redemption for all people. It's saying to you that Ruth is you. You are Ruth. One and the same. God's hand of redemption working throughout history. And the story built Ruth, foreigner, bankrupt. God's grace comes in through Boaz, who is a kinsman redeemer, which ultimately comes a greater picture of redemption, which God wants to fulfill in all the lives of his people. And from death comes life, from darkness comes light, from funeral comes marriage. And God orchestrates his plan. Not as if he kind of slapped it together, but intentionally. Can I tell you one of the most compelling reasons in my life that every day I, I, I just want to wake up and draw near to God, or at least I hope every day, it's seeing the divine hand of God's redemption laid out in Scripture. Over and over and over, this theme is repeated. 
leaving, leaving no room for speculation, but to just simply marvel at the hand of God as it's laid its course throughout history. And you think of how this story works where God calls a specific people group and says, so we can all identify it. This is where the Messiah will come from. And by the way, if God were to label where his Messiah would come from, guess who the devil would be interested in stopping? I mean, when God pinpoints from a particular people group that this, this is where the idea of his redemption will be birthed and tracing this lineage, if, if you control darkness, what, what do you control it against? It's, it, it's Satan working against this. So when you read the Old Testament, you see this spiritual battle taking place throughout the scriptures with God's people as Satan tries to thwart the, the, the redemptive hand of God wanting to be made known. But I love this. In Deuteronomy 7, 7, when God calls his people, he says this, the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because... Because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. God works through the humble things of this world to accomplish his plan. And he takes from Abraham and promises through him all nations would be blessed. And then he comes into 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 14 to 16, and he, and he promises the coming of the Messiah through this Davidic line. And so this thought of redemption. Redeemer is just rich in scripture. And I, I, I wish I could go through all the Bible and, and, and just show you how this, this picture lays out. But I'm only going to be able to give you a, a mini picture of the time that we have. But God has been moving throughout scripture, building, building this theme. And can I, can I just encourage you, if you want to just see the beauty of that beyond today. When you, when you go to God's word, if you want to just go to a starting point, I would tell you, go to the book of Acts. And just read some of Peter or Paul's sermons. And look at how they declare the goodness of who Christ is to people. Because when they share that message, what they do is they trace the hand of God's redemption. They articulate it so that people can see God's divine plan as it's laid out through the course of history. And can I add something else to that for you? Sometimes when we go through our Bible reading, I think it's important just to read a text of Scripture or a letter of the Bible. That's how the Bible is written. Like, you get to Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians. It's just a letter. Read the letter. Right? But, but I want you to also understand when, when the New Testament writers write, they're, just not, they're not just picking up from a, a brand new point and just starting with an idea. That they understand that God's divine hand of redemption has been tied throughout Scripture. And so when they write the New Testament, the New Testament writers are written by Jews. And they understand it for the most part. And they understand that when they're writing, that God's great picture is being painted. And so they quote from the Old Testament. And the Jews have a word for this. It's called, it's called kesher. It's the tying of the Old Testament. It's tying the, the picture of what God's painting together. And so I'll tell you, if you want to just really enhance your Bible reading, this will slow it down again a little bit, but it will also enhance it. When you open up your Bible, you'll see in the margins all these verse references. And sometimes we just read past that and we're like, that's kind of cool, but I don't know what that's about. But, but what it is, is it's a, it's a tying of a particular verse. And, and the author is tying that verse into an Old Testament passage. And the reason he's tying it to the Old Testament passage is because because he's taking from a frame of reference for us to understand the greater picture of God's redemption. And when they take a quote from the Old Testament, they're not just saying, go back and read the verse. They're saying, understand the section for which this comes from. You got you to remember, Jews recited and memorized the Old Testament. And so when they quoted, they quoted Kesher's as if to say, remember this section of scripture and the greater picture of what was happening? That's what I mean here in the New Testament when I'm explaining this to you. 
And so if you take time to go back to the Old Testament, the references they're, they're seeing in, in the Old Testament as to why they're writing in the New Testament, it adds such imagery uh, to, to the bi- biblical understanding that you carry forth in that section of Scripture. And this idea of redeemer is just a powerful picture in the Bible. And, and when the Jewish people would, would create these keshers, when they, would, when they would reference these words, the way these words were uh, given their definition was from, based on their first reference in the Bible. And so when you think about this word redeemer, if we're to think, okay, God, how, does, how do they develop their picture of redeemer? I would tell you, it starts in Exodus 6. Exodus 6 and chapter 5, this is, or chapter 6 and verse 5, this is where Moses is called out, and he's called out in chapter 3, he gets to chapter 5, he feels like a failure, he comes to God and says, God, what in the world are you doing? I don't get this, I don't think this is going to happen, are you sure you picked the right guy? And then in verse 5, God kind of peels back his grand picture for his plan. He says, I've remembered my covenant. I am the Lord. Remember the covenant to Abraham. Through you, all peoples would be blessed. He says, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens. And I will deliver from you from bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you from my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. I will bring you to the land which I swore. Now, if you remember, as, as God gives all these promises, I will, I will, I will. It's on his authority. It's not on theirs. It's on his promises. It's not on theirs. But when God gives this statement to Israel, remember, they're, they're slaves right now. And where do they find themselves being set free? The first Passover. God's going to redeem them. And the first Passover is the, the final judgment that comes against Pharaoh and, and the Egyptians that, that allows the Israelites to be set free. And this picture of redemption is now tied to that. Now here's the, the grand picture as it paints itself that when you get to the New Testament and John now introduces Jesus for the first time, what are the very first words John says about Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Passover. John draws the picture of Jesus to this idea of redemption. Ruth continues to reiterate it. She doesn't just reiterate redemption, but she also gets in the idea of a kinsman redeemer. And you follow the thought of redemption throughout Scripture. And then when you get to the New Testament, Jesus does something incredible. Matthew chapter 20. He walks into Jerusalem for the last time. On his journey into the city, he stops with his disciples. And he uses the opportunity of everything that awaits them in those moments to teach them. And Jesus gives this profound thought. I wish I had some time to talk about what the Son of Man represents. But he says this, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but look, to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. Now you look at that word ransom, you're like, that's not the word redeemer. But here's what's important to know. Jesus is taking really two thoughts and tying them together here. Because this word ransom comes from the same word cluster as the word redeemer. 
And so the moment Jesus said this, the disciples, again, they should have stopped and they understood the richness of this history. And this is one of those goosebumps, hair stand up kind of moment. That's Jesus saying. Redemption's here. He's giving his life as a redeemer. You think about kinsman redeemer in this moment. Jesus has become flesh like you to pay a debt you could not pay just like Ruth her life was darkness she was in a funeral of mourning and in comes light and life Hebrews chapter 2 starting verse 14 to 18 ties a better picture of kinsman redeemer about Jesus but Jesus says ransom the word cluster from which we get the word redeemer. Within this word ransom also has a, a cultural meaning. Man, I love how Jesus, how he can just, orc, it's like he's God or something. You know how he can, he just takes one word and it can mean, it's so rich in it's understanding that Jesus just, he wants us to grab a hold of what's being expressed here because this word ransom is also a cultural word that's used in reference to slavery. Now in, in our culture, we have different words for financial transactions, right? You go to the store, you buy something, you get a receipt, you, you want to buy a car, you get a loan. And on top of that, you create debt. <laughs> All kinds of financial words we have in, in our society. In Jesus' day, this word ransom was a specific financial term used towards a, a specific moment. And, and that specific financial term was used when they would purchase slaves off a slave market. It's as if to say you could not buy your freedom you were trapped. You were owned. But in comes Jesus, kinsman redeemer, ransomed, redemption from slavery into life. And so when you think about the richness of redemptions that spread throughout the totality of Scripture, according to God's story of redemption in Ruth, what it's declaring to us through the life of Jesus is that I am Ruth. I'm a bankrupt foreigner. And God brings in his gracious hand. And in my poverty, I become rich. Just the beauty of this word redemption as Jesus lays it out in the New Testament. It's not just God taking you off the slave market. It's not just God rescuing you from something. It's now God giving you a new identity for something and that is in him. So you think about this, the story of Ruth in poverty and having nothing to supply her life, worried about tomorrow. And now this kinsman redeemer comes in, she's married and now what belongs to Boaz belongs to her. She's rich. And in Jesus' life, it's the same for you. It's not just the rescuing from, but it's the wealth of Christ poured out on your life. Why is that important? Because it has everything to do with the confidence you put in him. Tracing God's hand of redemption is so important for us to see in Scripture because finding confidence in God's commitment to you will inspire confidence in your commitment to Him. 
Joy in what you know you possess in Jesus will enable you to leave everything else behind to grab a hold of him. The reason I know that is because what Jesus does with his disciples as they walk into Jerusalem for the last time. So they're on that road, Matthew 20. Jesus gives that statement to them about him coming to ransom. And then in in John chapter 13 to John chapter 17, Jesus spends his final six hours with his closest followers, the 12 disciples. He goes into the upper room with them and he teaches them some of the most precious portions of scripture and what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And one of the things that Jesus harps on throughout those chapters, over and over, it's identity. And in fact, he uses three metaphors to do it. And so when you look in John chapter 14, this is what Jesus says in these these three metaphors. John 14, he says this, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. Jesus is using a picture of marriage here. In Jesus' day, a young man would be betrothed to a young woman. And that young man, while they're betrothed, she would, she would go, or he would go on and he would prepare a place for his bride. And that's where they would return and consummate the marriage together. And what Jesus is saying to you is that you're betrothed to him. He's preparing a place for you that where he is, you may be also. You are his bride. You think about how much a husband is to care for his bride. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. And then he goes on from there. He says this in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Look, a good dad doesn't say to his kid, look, sit on that doorstep and hope to God I come back. Just guess, guess whether or not I'm going to return, right? But Jesus is saying to his disciples, he knows what's going to happen to them. He's about to be crucified. He knows what they're about to endure, but he wants them to understand positionally where they are in him. Look, I'm not abandoning you. You belong to me. You are my bride. You are my child. And then in verse 15, no longer do I call you slaves, ransom, but look, I call you friend. You just think, what, it, what does it mean to be called the friend of God? He's my friend. He is my father. He is my husband. He is my redeemer. And the story that he's painted in scripture is so beautiful that from Genesis to the time of Christ, that hand of redemption is laid out over and over and over. God repeats it. Why? Because we all get to the place of Ruth. We experience death. We walk in pain. We need light. And life. And so here we are in the story of Ruth. In a time period in history around King David where they're just looking back into darkness and they're reminding all of us God's hand is not finished yet. In fact, the story of redemption will continue to be told of which you yourself are Ruth. In the midst of darkness, there is light. God will not leave you, leave you as an orphan, but you are his bride. Why? To find confidence in his commitment to you so that it will inspire confidence in your commitment to him. The story of redemption, guys, is the anthem of God's people. 
that we may celebrate what he has done in the course of history. This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah. If you'd like more information, please visit us online at alpinebible.com.